Here are the full reasons for my compassionate grievances with institutional religion. Number one, the mistreatment of abuse survivors, cover-ups of trauma and allegations just like the rest of the same world that they bash every week. Number two, the original sin doctrine. Humans are not naturally pure evil at birth. Three, the black and white thinking pretending that gray areas don't exist. Four, perfectionism, being addicted to being correct as well as accurate all of the time. Five, hell, why would all of the sweet people who are not Christian rot for eternity? Six, infallibility and inerrancy in scripture. There are contradictions, errors, and inconsistencies in the Bible. Seven, the demonization of research and learning. Critical thinking is judged harshly by them. Eight, the claims of supernaturalism. There's no scientific nor archaeological evidences for them. Nine, making all the stories factual. The Bible is much more allegorical than actual in terms of its characters, its events, and its passages. Ten, the us versus them mentality. Their warfare that they act out against people who disagree with them. Eleven, The early church and the modern church don't agree on who Jesus is. The early church was about discipleship. The modern church is about prosperity. Twelve, they refuse to deal with many people using scripture to support atrocities, even discrimination. Christian history is rough on outcasts, too. Um, Because it's easy to use scripture to support atrocities... I am unable to accept that the Bible is God-breathed. Because scriptures use support atrocities, I am also unable to accept that scripture is infallible and inerrant. Um, I am unable to accept the following things. Scripture being the word of God. And. Sola Scriptura. Because scripture is used so easily. To harm people. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people use scripture correctly. And bless people's lives. And. There are many people in the modern church who are about discipleship too. And let me go back to number seven. I noticed that the demonization of research and learning is more about relying on pastors for all of God's wisdom for people's lives. And I... I come to the realization that we don't really think there is a history of many preachers not getting um, the education that they need in order to best be prepared for scriptural conversations and scriptural explorations. I think that um, also when it comes to non-Christians and their studies of the Bible, that's what I mean by the demonization is that those who have studied scripture but have not been Christian, there's been a history of speaking negatively about them and based on conversations I've had with non-Christians. 
that and based on the conversations I had with people who some have a church background and we would talk about these kind of things that we were concerned about. Um, Galatians chapter four, verse 24 is what I meant by allegorical than actual. You know, the covenant of God, referring to Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, that situation in scripture. Um, when I say critical thinking is judged harshly by them in this take, I also feel that we're so into having faith that when people even think of honest inquiry questions, somehow they're made to feel as if they are inferior for even willing to be scholarly about this doesn't seem right or this is troubling or why do we do church this way? That's what I mean. Um, Christian history is rough on abuse survivors and people with disabilities. I can name more, but I'll just name those two. And the claims of supernaturalism, I mean, there's not a lot. There's, I haven't heard any scientific or archaeological evidence for Jesus's Messiah claim. Um, I'm open to supernaturalism. I'm open to being proven wrong lovingly. And I'm open to evolving in how I feel about any and all subjects. And I always have that openness forever, 24-7. I say these things lovingly because I'm concerned. Um, I am very wanting to understand things. Let me read these couple of things to you, then I will get back to just talking from my heart. Set, I, I like this quote from, I want to make sure I quote him correctly, uh, from Dr. Lawson Stone. I like this quote from him, even though um, the way he worded it, um, I would have definitely made sure to have been gender and sexually inclusive in language. I love that at least he has a thought process that can have some benefit to it, positive benefit to it. Dr. Lawson Stone says, sex is about so much more than sexy. Sex is about helping your wife recover for months from a very difficult delivery of a baby you sort of had something to do with. Sex is about loving the wrinkles and gray hair on thinning hair. Sex is about sitting by the bed wishing you could be the one suffering instead of them. Sex is about still feeling off balance when you have to go without your wedding band for some reason. It's about staying together through times when you don't feel in love, don't feel dedicated, don't feel committed. But remember that before God in his church, you made a promise, a covenant, and you'll honor it. And discovering that those who keep faith with the formal so-called legalistic boundary enter a garden of joy, known only as those who surrender. Um, obviously, I did not mean that religiously. I just, and plus, those things can apply to people who are non-monogamous, a sense of sex is about thinking of the right words to say. What's the best way for me to say this? Sex is ultimately about good neighborliness. And 
sex is also about hospitableness, fellowship of the flesh and spirit. And I did not mean to be heteronormative on that one. He said something that I wanted to expand on. And you can have this kind of sex and not be Christian. You can have this kind of sex and not see God as male. Um, You can have this kind of sex and be unmarried too. Because you have unmarried people who feel the same feelings that he had. Maybe... would word it in different ways, but ultimately the point he's making is that sex has a a personal a personable a personableness to it. And you can have these same feelings he has and be unmarried, not Christian, and not see God as male. So I hope that can help. Um Okay, now I want to read this. And this and this will this will be the second one. Being personally repelled by homosexual sex doesn't make homosexual sex a sin. In addition to the Bible, many Christians cite it as additional evidence of the inherent sinfulness of homosexual acts, their raw emotional response to such acts. It is understandable that many straight people find homosexual sex repugnant, just as many gay people find heterosexual sex repugnant. It is normal for any of us to be viscerally repelled by the idea of sex between or with people for whom we personally have no sexual attraction. Young people, for example, are often disgusted by the thought of senior citizens having sex and who isn't repulsed by the idea of their parents having sex. When rationally speaking, we should rejoice in the fact that they did. But it is much too easy for any person to mistake their instinctive reaction against something as a moral reaction to that thing. Outrage isn't always moral outrage, though the two usually feel the same. It may feel to a straight Christian that their instinctive negative reaction to homosexual sex arises out of the Bible. But all of us necessarily view the Bible through the lens of our own experiences and prejudices, and we must be very careful to ensure that lens does not distort our vision or understanding of God's sacrosanct word. This is written by... John Shore, contributor author, Ashes to Asheville. So he has, um, he's come from the Christian point of view. Um, I, I agree with him. I am not repelled by gay sex because I am not repelled by humans being humans. I am not repelled by heterosexual sex because, again, I'm not repelled by humans being humans. I'm not easily grossed out, and I think both types of sex having and the diversity of sex, people having sex differently, I'm not grossed out by any of that at all. Um, Those sex having and the diversity and differences of sex and sexuality, they are, they belong and they are needed and they are wanted in this world of of the human flesh spectrum and the human soul spectrum. Okay. So I want to um, also read this part from the article by Mr. John too. So I like to... Uh, Oh, this is a good one. The Bible isn't a rule book and Christians cannot lift out of its context any passage from the Bible and still hope to get a clear understanding of that passage. It is important to understand that even the most fundamentalist Christian sects, S-E-C-T-S, do not take the Bible wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, literally. 
The New Testament is 2,000 years old. Its cultural context, is along with the translation at hand, is always taken into consideration by any Christian serious about understanding this vast and complex work. Further, the Bible is not a contract or, or a set of instructions with each passage spelling out something clear and specific. It is not a rule book for being Christian. It is instead a widely varying collection of poetry, history, proverbs, moral directives, parables, letters, and wondrous visions. We will be foolish to fail to understand that not everything in the Bible is a commandment and that Christians cannot take any small section of the Bible out of its own context and still hope to gain a clear understanding of its meaning. Using the four Old Testament passages and the, and the to condemn all homosexual acts is not in keeping with any directive from God nor the practices of contemporary Christians. Um, that'll be a, and hmm. I want to make sure that I got to read what I needed to read. In the clobber passages, Paul condemns the coercive, excessive, and predatory same-sex sexual activity practiced by the Romans and would have condemned the same acts had they been heterosexual in nature. So now I'm going to read Matthew Vine. Um, Matthew Vine is, he, he, he says he's a gay Christian. So I wanted to make sure I get his input in all of this too. Our key words for the discussion here are the words translated as effeminate and abuses of themselves with mankind. These somewhat ambiguous translations in the King James are consistent with how these words were actually translated into English for hundreds of years, some kind of immorality or abuse. But specifically, what kind was never stated. This changed halfway through the last century when some Bible translators began connecting these terms directly to homosexuality. The first occurrence of this shift came in 1946 when a translation of the Bible was published that simply said that homosexuals would not inherit the kingdom of God. Several decades later, after the distinction between sexual orientation and sexual behavior came to be more widely understood, this was changed to say that only practicing homosexuals would not inherit the kingdom. But these terms and concepts regarding sexual orientation are completely alien to the biblical world. Neither Greek, the language of the New Testament, nor Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, nor Latin, the language of early Christian translations of the Bible had a word that means or corresponds to the English word for gay. The concept of sexual orientation and of same-sex orientation in particular didn't exist in the ancient world. The English term homosexual was not even coined until the end of the 19th century. So translations of these words that suggest that Paul was using these distinctly modern concepts and categories are highly suspect. But today there are many translations of the Bible, though certainly not all of them, that link these terms in some way to homosexuality, rendering them variously as males who practice homosexuality, men who have sex with men, or male prostitutes. What is the basis for this shift in translation? Um, let me just read some of this. Um, the other debated word in this passage translated as a feminine in the King James is malakos in the Greek. This is a very common word in ancient Greek and it literally means soft. It was used as an insult in a wide array of contexts to refer to those who were considered weak-willed, cowardly, or lazy. And all of those failings were particularly associated with women in ancient times, hence the rendering effeminate. In a, in a specifically sexual context, the word was used to describe general licentiousness and debauchery, but this wasn't limited to any particular kind of relationship. Men who took the passive role in sexual relations were sometimes labeled as term, which is the basis of which some modern translators connected to homosexuality. But so many people were labeled this term for so many different things, most of them not even sexual in nature, and most of the sexual ones about men in relationships with women, that there's no valid basis for picking out one possible reason out of dozens and saying that there must have been, that that must have been what Paul had in mind. It would be more faithful of, to the text to return to the ambiguity that prevailed for more than 1,900 years of translation. The notion that Paul is singling out gay people here and saying that they will not inherit the kingdom of God simply doesn't hold up scrutiny. 
In the final passage, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, the first word of Jesus of themselves with mankind reappears in the list of people Paul says the law was written against. Here the translation is them that defile themselves with mankind. The translation issues and debates here are the same as those from 1 Corinthians. Again, the strongest inference that can be drawn from other uses of this term is that it referred to economic exploitation through sexual coercion, possibly involving same-sex activity, but a very different kind than what we are discussing. Um, the word translated as abuse of themselves of mankind in the King James is a compound word in the Greek. It is arsenokoetis, arson meaning male, and koetis meaning bad, generally with a sexual connotation. So the argument is that we can determine the meaning of this term from its etymology. Male plus bad in the plural form must then refer to men who sleep with other men, but there are several problems with this approach. First, simply looking at a word's component parts doesn't necessarily tell us what it means. There are many English words where this approach would fail. For example, the words understand, butterfly, honeymoon. The component parts here, honey and moon, really don't tell us anything about what that word actually means. In order to understand what a word means, you have to consider how it's used in context. The problem with the words abusers of themselves mankind arsenokatos is that it was used extremely rarely in ancient Greek. In fact, Paul's use of it in 1 Corinthians is considered to be its first recorded use anywhere. And after Paul, the few places it appears tends to be in list of general vices, which are not the most helpful of contexts. Fortunately, however, many of these lists are grouped by category, and this Greek word consistently appears among sins that are of a primarily economic nature rather than those that are primarily sexual. This and some other contextual data indicate that this term referred to some kind of economic exploitation likely through sexual norm, likely through sexual means. This may have involved forms of same-sex behavior, but coercive and exploitative forms. This is no contextual, there is no contextual support for linking this term to loving, faithful relationships. And this is what I want to, because um, I covered most of this. So what's customary, uncustom, you know, so what is customary, uncustomary, what is customary, uncustomary, um, that doesn't mean sin. You know, there were issues with appropriate hair length, you know, men had to keep it short and women could keep it long. So you had that issue. They believed that the man's sexual role was to be active and the woman's sexual role is to be passive. And shameful and unnatural is where the words come from. Nature, disgrace, you know what I mean? Uh, whew, let me see. So basically, my last point will be um, this one. Sexuality was seen as a spectrum with opposite sex relations being the product of a moderate level of desire and same sex relations. The product of an excessive amount of desire. Um, in fact, during that time, the abandonment of heterosexual relations for same sex lust was frequently compared to gluttony and eating or drinking. Uh, personal orientation had nothing to do with it, but within this framework, as I said, same sex relations were associated with the height of excess and lust, and that's why Paul invokes them in Romans chapter 1. His purpose is to show that the idolaters were giving over to unbridled passion and to depict a scene of sexual chaos and excess that illustrates that that is completely consistent and that is completely consistent with how same-sex relations were most commonly described at the time. But the only reason there, that a reference to same-sex behavior helps Paul illustrate general sexual chaos is because the people he is describing first began with opposite sex relations and then in a burst of lust abandoned them, exchanged them for something else. 
Obviously, I do not think that same-sex relations are a product of excessive amount of desire. I do not think that same-sex relations are associated with the height of excess and lust. I don't feel that way either. Um, I think I addressed everything. Being gay is not a sin. Gay sex is not a sin. LGBTQIA plus, not a sin. They're not sins. They're not choices. Even if they were choices, harmless choices. That's where I stand. And my mind will not be changed on those things because of the research I've been doing the valid, credible research I've been doing. So, now I can just talk without reading anything. This is what I want to say. I am unable to accept the Bible's being divinely inspired because of Scripture's use to easily support human atrocities. I think some parts of the Bible are divinely inspired, especially uh, Jesus' parables of the Good Samaritan, uh, the parable of the rich fool, uh, and the parable of the shrewd manager. So there are divinely inspired aspects of the Bible from my view based on how those passages have beautified soulfully and externally the lives of many. But overall, I'm having a hard time seeing the Bible is completely uh, divinely inspired because if you can do bigotry so defenselessly, then that makes me question. Um, In regards to Jesus' historical existence, I think that that may have happened based upon what I've read from Roman historians. Can I say for sure that it existed? I can't, but I think so. Um, is G- the historical Jesus and the biblical Jesus one and the same? That's the same question I'm asking because I would like to have known what his community and the place of travel thought of him I wish we had their writings, but most people during his time were illiterate, so that sucks. If they could have written down what they thought of him, then I could go, there may be something to what scripture says. Um, I feel I'm using a lot of ums and everything I know. I'm trying not to do that. That's just me thinking as I'm talking. I've learned to pause and not use filler words, so I'll keep that in mind in the future, so that won't be an issue anymore. I'm very honored to have the courage to even state these views that I feel for this other reason. I do not think that I'm giving any disservice to my grandma And I'll say this. I like her praying by the bedside idea, but I don't call it prayer. I call it being meditative. So I do on my bedside. I just don't call it prayer. I listen to meditation that I engage in, which is called Relaxed Melodies, which is on my phone. And I put my itty-bitty headphones on and I just allow the sky, the divine, meaning the auras of public spiritedness and congeniality voice their wisdoms to me. 
I pray to the God in me. I have sessions with the Jesus in me too. And I want to clear this for the record so I know I can sleep well at night tonight. So I can rest and sleep well at night tonight. My airing my compassionate grievances about institutional religion and my airing out my empathetic concerns and um, love-based doubts and tender-hearted-based skepticisms. I'm not tearing down anybody's views. I'm not tearing down anybody's faith. I'm not tearing down anybody's religion. I'm not tearing down, I'm not tearing down anybody's spirituality. I am publicly lamenting that after my grandma transitioned, I was misled when it came to religion. From whom? I will say. By Christian television. And their embrace of the same people that are on Fox News and Trump's people. Number two, the silence on sex crimes and abuse crimes. Number three, the the ignorance regarding Constantine's John Calvin's and Martin Luther's bigotries that have caused the church and the state to play to each other. Um, The next one I will hear the pastor at the church I was attending um, he would always say y'all not coming to Bible study so I'm bringing Bible study to you I spend most of my time trying to get Christians to obey the word Y'all come every week, sit in the same seats, looking at the same back of the neck with the same weave that you've been looking at and he exaggerated for 20 years. That we we are good at doing church together, but we're not do, good at doing life together. Then he made this comment. Some of y'all leave before church is over, before the benediction is concluded. Y'all want to beat the traffic, get on the highway, be the first to leave, get in your parking lot to go to wherever you got to go. You don't want to do life together with anybody. You don't want to know anybody. You don't want to fellowship with anybody. You want to do discipleship with anybody. It's all about you. You're so selfish that you leave before church is over. You want to come in here and get your church fix but you don't want to do life together as Acts chapter 2 verse 42 commands Christians to do. And he said, when it comes to evangelism, it's not my job, it's not my responsibility to make sheep. I'm the shepherd. Sheep make sheep. Healthy sheep make sheep. He said that. And then he said, To paraphrase him, there are people like that on your road. People who come to church and don't change. He said there are plenty of churches that deal with this issue. Y'all come in here, 
don't change. You don't bring notes. It's arrogant that you don't bring notes. You don't want to pass on anybody. You don't have any photogenic memory. And you're basically saying to God, I don't care. Not only am I not interested, I don't care. Right? He said those things. Then he said, you know how multi-level marketing is very big? He said, what if Christians were that aggressive with sharing the gospel with people who are unsaved? And he said, God's heart is burdened by the fact that Christians have lost their passion of sharing the gospel with unsaved people. He said, y'all have an active social life with them, but you do not share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. There's people in your house, you leave them in the house to go to church. You won't share the gospel to them. You won't share to the people in your house, you won't share the gospel with them. He said, You won't share the gospel with co-workers on your job. You won't share the gospel with people in your neighborhood. You won't share the gospel anywhere you go. And he said you won't share... Um, the gospel with people who don't look like church people, think like church people, and live like church people, and act like church people. Because, you know, church people like people who look like, act like, think like, and live like them. And then he said, there are people who you want to judge the young lady for coming in here dressing loosely. You're just jealous because you don't look like that yourself. And he said, take the spandex off, Grandma. And instead of judging the young lady who comes in there dressing loosely, why not just take her shopping? What if that's the only thing she ever has? And he said... This is the last comment I I can quote on him. He said, and this is the most disturbing thing I've ever heard. He said, um, y'all gonna definitely talk about me today. Y'all not gonna like me, but I don't care. I'm gonna get this monkey off my back today. I'm gonna fend some of y'all. Then he said, I'm going to piss some of y'all off. Yes, he actually said the word piss in church. He said, King James Version, pisseth. And everything he said crushed my heart because these are issues that are not addressed properly in church. We think that ministry is the all and be all of resolving human issues, human concerns and human problems and human predicaments. No, that's why we have to end this fear of all things and all people non-Christian because you have to build relationships with some people who aren't Christian, some organizations who aren't Christian, but they do Christian things. Helping people who are survivors heal from abuse. Helping people who have addictions to be set free from those addictions. Those are the only two examples I mentioned. Those are Christian things, even though non-Christians do those things too. I'm just putting it in a context so faith-based people can understand where I'm coming from. Um, I'm just devastated. I didn't know it was that bad, right? So I mentioned my, I read articles about religion. I mentioned my thoughts on religion and my experiences with it to call religious, faith-based, and spirituality-based peoples in and not out. Because there's people like me who are wondering what is going on with American Christianity and why is it like this?
I think Jesus would reject the very same religion about him because of the contamination of many people about Christianity. Um, I feel this way also. This The magic potion lotion on Christian television, the thousand dollar seed, the seven seven dollars seven seven cent. Um, pay your bills, and God will take care of your finances forever. Tossing money while the while God while the Bible is being preached at the altar. Um, offerings are more common than altar calls in some church buildings. Trying to be sneaky about honorariums for preachers by saying, hey, if we raise the offerings more because people are feeling the Holy Spirit more, then that's, that's your paycheck as yes, the guest preacher that you are for today and tonight. Um... ATMs in churches, expensive cars in the parking lot, while people are starving and people are hungry. I'm not saying you can't do well for yourself, but the pulpit tends to be the expensive car people. While you have people in church who can't afford to pay their bills, they can't afford to, you know, keep their cars running and they don't have any gas money, they don't have any food, light, heat, bill water money, but you're trying to get a new jet. I have have issues with that. Um, Social injustice is destroying our streets, but we care more about which gender is penetrating who than the reason why Black Lives Matter was formed to begin with. These are my thoughts. I'm going to speak until 60 minutes because I think there's more I need to say. I feel that with my grandma, a lot of people say, but your grandma's a traditional biblical Christian believing woman. How would she feel about your views that aren't in line with being, with traditional biblical Christianity. As one of my friends said, we talked about that, and she said she would embrace your individuality because I said that in a different way. I said I resolved it in my heart, and she would have an issue with me based on what I've been through, and that's what my friend said. She would embrace your individuality. Um... I read the Bible every week um, because that's one of the ways that helps me to stay close to my grandma, of course. Plus, I have a desire to... um, I I know I did it again. Um, This is the last episode you'll ever hear me say I'm like that in fellow words. In the future, I won't do that. I just caught myself. Not being hard on myself, I'm just saying. Plus, I have a desire to read the Bible cover to cover. Never done it, but I'm going to do it uh, in a few days. In a few days, I will. Because I've admired how the secular people I knew, they read the Bible cover to cover and knew everything about it. I want to do that. I don't want to be one of the 82% of American Christians who don't read the Bible I want to stay out of that statistic. Some statistics are not are worth unfulfilling. 
So I'm going to start reading the Bible every day for the very first time, cover to cover. That is something I need to do for my healing process. Because I'm, I was raised Christian, so I need to know everything that happened in Scripture. I want, I'm going to educate myself on the canonization history, the Gutenberg press history, and every writing genre that has a relationship with the Bible. I need to fully educate myself. I don't depend on the pulpit and the congregation to do it. I'm going to do it for me. I need to do it to help me heal. And there are things about Jesus that I, I want to have a better understanding of. This is not about proselytizing. This is not about reconverting. This is not about you know evangelism. It's not about proselytizing. It's not about witnessing. It's not about convincing. This is not about converting anybody. This is that that's the best way to help me heal from all of the trauma that was wrongly associated with religion in my life. And so I just want to say that I'm very honored to say this about me for the very last time, so I won't ever have to say this again. Speaking of raw and uncut, I curse. I think weed is fabulous. I am a social drinker. I love to party. The nightlife is my thing. I love to dance. I'm into satire. I go to adult comedy clubs. I'm not a prude at all. I am a secular person. I am also a free-thinking, free-living, free-loving, and free-spirited person. Squeaky clean is not my thing. People can be ethical and moral without religion. I'm one of them. I delight in being very liberal and very progressive. So now I don't have to say that ever again. Now I can talk from my heart some more off script. No script, actually. As I have been developing as a human being, this is what I think. I feel a sense of I was abandoned and neglected when my grandma transitioned. Sometimes I think I may have been underdeveloped in the Christian faith because of it. Other times I think I was more developed and more mature than I should have been because of it. It feels like a yin and yang. I go with more developed than I should have underdeveloped. And that's how I personally uh, conceive of this. I love being a confirmed bachelor by my choice. I love being uh, single by my choice. I love being childless by my choice. I love being petless by my choice. I love not commitment dating by my choice. I love totally living alone by my choice. These are all of my choices forever that I make every day, nonstop, never will stop, never gonna stop. I will never repeat that ever again, I'm done. You know I'm healing when I stop repeating myself and going to certain things. Okay, let me get back to what I was saying earlier. When it comes to my life, 
this is the last time I repeat this. I was afraid of being a high-profile public figure and all the materialistic and spiritual benefits that come along with it. But what made the fear disappear forever, no reentry again, ever again, is the fact that my black autistic child abuse victim experiences in life bless more people than I think based on their verbal nonverbal responses to me that are both sweet hearted Mm. I ask this question again why is Christian activism the, the world is in charge of but not Jesus himself why do we why do churches wait on the world to be the first people to be sensitized to abuse and abuse cover-ups. And the church not the first to have that sensitivity. Why, how come journalists and media moguls care more about preventing abuse and abuse cover-ups than church leadership and church congregants? That's the question I wanna know. How do y'all not see Jesus as an abuse victim how do you not see Jesus as a trauma victim? How do you not see Jesus as a victim of victimization? Maybe if y'all would start seeing Jesus as an abuse victim, a trauma victim, a victim of victimization, so you would understand that covering up abuse is covering up Jesus. Running from abuse is running from Jesus. Flogging. That's abuse. Crucifixion. That's abuse. Being blindfolded. That's abuse. Being smacked around and punched in the face. Slapped in the face. That's a, th Those are abuses. Being called out of your names. That's abuse. Spitting on him. That's abuse. People jeering you. That's abuse. Stretched wide, hung him high, bowed his head. As you say for me, he died. Those are all abuses. Gambling for my clothes while I'm dying. That's abuse. Crown of thorns. Shove down somebody's scalp. Abuse. Carrying my cross and you're still lashing me in my back. Abuse. Torturing me in front of my mama and my women followers. Abuse. My dad not around. To protect me from all this abuse? Abuse. And Jesus grew up in a culture where women and children were sexually and physically abused all the time. They were considered slightly better than slaves. All abuse. False witnesses, abuse. Illegal trials of Jesus by the Sanhedrin and others, abuse. I don't understand how you can sweep Jesus under the rug. A lot of y'all did not even catch the reference because Jesus is a carpenter. Mm. Whew. And... 
That's what we do. When we sweep abuse under the rug, you're sweeping Jesus under the rug. When you crucify abuse victims by choosing not to suffer with them, you're crucifying Jesus and never letting him get off the cross. I hope that disturbs you enough where you will never do that again. Jesus did not promise his fathers to have an easy life. Let me tell you some hard truths. There are Christians who've died of the coronavirus. There are Christians who've died of plane, helicopter, car, train, and bus crashes. They met Jesus because of those types of crashes. I mean, when they went on to be with the Lord, as church people say. There are Christians who've been killed and Christians who've faced the same bad things that non-Christians face. There are Christians who've been abused, traumatized, raped, beaten up. There are Christians who have grown up with without parents. You can be an orphan and a Christian. You can be poor and Christian. As a Christian, life is not impervious even when suffering, but I say all, and, and being Christian doesn't automatically mean prosperity and having all good in life because you can't have all of up there down here. You can't have all the eternal heaven down here in this temporal earth. But let me wrap up in a smoother note. Um, I am thankful for mature Christians. I am thankful for mature believers of all faiths, all religions, all spiritualities. Um, I call in pious people. I don't call out pious people. Um, I share my experiences publicly so all the mature people in all houses of worship can help redirect me because I haven't been able to find that in person. But I noticed once I started going public with my views, suddenly I've been interacting with more mature Christians. That's amazing. Um, This will be my last religion episode for a while um, because I want to talk about other things and plus Y'all need to hear me discuss other things. I I want to keep your attention and not have you be bored. But I don't think you are. But I just wanted to know that I care about how you feel too. Um, I'm very grateful for all of the church people and all the other house of worship people who have blessed my life and still do. Um... I'm thankful for I'm thankful for my grandma introducing me to Jesus. Um, I love her version of Jesus because it's in line with the actual Jesus, the biblical and historical one. I thank my grandma for introducing me to Christianity. Jesus is my number one focus in every area of my life. And I and I told my grandma that I'll never change. Um, I would say that Jesus is my favorite world leader. And that will never change because I told my grandma that too. I've kept my promises on, both, on two things. Um, what makes me say secular is this one last other reason. Because nobody controls Christ likeness. Nobody owns Christ likeness. I'll say this in detail because I think I said it before. I don't want to bore you. Because I've experienced 
all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit from people who aren't Christian. I've experienced all things positive in life, all things good in life, and all things noble character in life from people who are non-Christian as well as Christian. So that sums up all my views on religion. Thank you all for listening. Take care.